I wanted to wish you another happy new year, everybody. It is the first of the year. What better time to come to church than the first? Come on. You can't make them all if you don't make the first one. So you just, it's going to be a great one. And I want to, I just, and I'm just, I'm joking with you. I love everybody watching online, everybody in the room. Some of you in the room, you don't even know where you are. You're just sleep deprived. Your eyes are already closing. I see you when you fall asleep. You know that, right? Like I see you out there. I keep close watch. And I wish I could be asleep too. That's what I just (laughs) think. Today, though, we're kicking off a brand new series we're calling Finding Center. Uh, And this is one I've wanted to preach for a while. And I honestly, I wanted to do this uh, at the beginning of the year because I think it's a great start for us. And we're going to talk and dive into this idea of emotions, uh, of anxiety, of grief, of pain. We're going to delve into a few different topics during this series. And honestly, I think it's going to help us the most here at the beginning of the year. Because I think if we, can, if we can set this, everything else flows out of it. The way that we act, the way that we react, the way that we treat others flow out of our own emotions. And so we're going to kind of dive into this thing because I think there's a trap in the church world uh, about emotions that there's really only one emotion you're allowed to have. You understand what I'm saying? Like you just feel like if you come into church and somebody says, how's it going? You're supposed to say it's going good. It's going, praise the Lord, brother. We're doing well. If you go to a small group and they're like, how's life? You're like, praise God, sister. We've never been better. It's just been the best thing ever. Like your marriage is in shambles. Like the house is on fire behind you, like a Denzel Washington movie or something like, and you're just like, praise God. It's just good. We're just good. And I think sometimes we've tricked ourselves into this place where we feel like the only emotion I can have is happy and good. And I can never show who I really am or what I'm really going through. And I just feel trapped. And I think this is how we spiral out of control so often. That we're not willing to talk about it. We're not willing to express or show it. And we feel like it makes us less of a Christian. And so we're going to talk about emotions during this. But I don't want to just talk about emotions. I want to come at it from a gospel-driven perspective. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at Jesus and the emotions that he experienced and the emotions that he encountered and the way that he treated the people going through those emotions. We're going to look at the way that Jesus treated not only people going through those things, but then the emotions he felt himself because Jesus was God, God in the flesh. And so he experienced some very, very real emotions. And I think it's going to help center our own. I think we can then come from this compassion or gospel-driven emotional state that we can then treat others with that mindset. So I did a little research into the emotions of Jesus, so you didn't have to. One article I found said that Jesus in the Gospels is represented to have felt 39 different distinct emotions. Now, I did not know for years that there were 39 different emotions in the world until I had kids and I realized now I can experience the full range of emotions. Like I could just, I just can feel them all in one day. I just have all the emotions together. And honestly, as a parent, I don't know if you have small children, you understand that you can experience very mixed emotions. Like those 39 can all be crammed into like one emotion that you feel at a particular thing. Like we're just like making up emotions as we go. Like it's just responding. Like if you've ever had your child do something that is hilarious to you as an adult, but wildly inappropriate for them to do, you understand what I'm talking about. Like, like you cannot laugh because it will reinforce the negative behavior, but you have to also discipline. It's very confusing. It's a very like interesting mixed emotions. For example, two weeks ago, I pulled my truck into my driveway to go home and I got out of my truck, put it in park, went into my house. And as I'm rounding the front of my truck, I noticed something on the front driver bumper of my car. And so I I look a little bit closer and I realized somebody has keyed my car. Come on, somebody. 
Somebody has scratched into the side, deeply scratched into my truck. And so I don't have any enemies that I know about. And so I'm looking a little bit close and I realize it's a word that they've written there. And I'm trying to, it says like have a or wave or like, and I realize what it says. It says Hava. Now, if you don't know, Hava is our little five-year-old daughter. You met her last week. And so I look a little bit close. She decided to take a rock and scratch her name into infamy. Come on, somebody. So as a parent, I have mixed emotions. First of all, I'm thinking, that's not great. (laughs) There it is. This truck belongs to I'm thinking, that's not good. On the other hand, she spelled her name correctly. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And we're very proud of that. We're very excited. And on the other, other hand, she has better handwriting than both her brothers combined. So that's... That's my girl. Come on. I just got to teach her to tag her mom's stuff and not her dad's stuff. Like, she's got to, if she's going to have any, any future in the vandalism industry, she has to learn not to put her name. Come on. That's just what we, mixed, <laughs> mixed emotions. Where was I? Mixed emotions. We just, we have mixed, and listen, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God walking on earth. And so he experienced some very, very real emotions. And we're going to study some of these. He experienced some incredibly strong emotions in different scenarios, different things that happened to him. And I'll give you some examples here at the outset. And these are a couple that we're going to talk about throughout the series. But just to give you some examples, for instance, Jesus looked over Jerusalem so many times in the Gospels. And he said he was filled. He saw these people, God's people. He saw these people disconnected from the Father. And he felt this sadness that they were missing out on what God had for them. That they weren't being gathered the way God wanted them to. That they weren't being returning to their own salvation. They weren't coming back to God. And he felt this sadness. Or for instance, when he sent out the 72. And they returned saying all that God had done through them. And all the amazing things that were happening. Jesus felt this joy over what God was doing through his people. When he encountered religious leaders. And I love this one. Whenever he encountered Pharisees or religious leaders. Who cared more about the law and the rules than they did about people. He had this righteous anger rise up in him. We'll talk about that in week number three. And he felt this, this anger over this, uh, the sin and the hypocrisy and the way that they treated people. When Jesus' friend Lazarus died, even though Jesus knew he would raise him from the dead in just a few days, even though he knew it was going to happen, he still felt this grief over the death of his friend. He experienced emotions. And then we'll talk about next week how he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what's coming ahead, knowing the pain he's going to endure at the cross, and he feels this anxiety And grief, and he feels this this overwhelming sense of what's going to happen. Jesus felt emotions. And I think sometimes we cheat ourselves by saying, I can only feel happy because I'm a Christian. And we don't see others. Or we mistreat others who are going through those things, not treating them how Jesus treats the ones he comes across. And so we're going to talk today. And what I want to do as we start the series is look at both an emotion somebody experienced. And then the emotion Jesus experienced in response to them. Because I think it will not only teach us about that emotion and how we can process it, but how we can treat others who walk through it as well. So we're looking at Luke's gospel. Uh, If you want to grab out your Bible, or we'll have it on the screen uh, for you. If you'd like to cheat and just read up here, we'll have that for you. Or in the app, you can pull that up. We'll have all of the verses and the points. But Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11. So just to give you some context, this is after Jesus has preached uh, his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He has healed the centurion's servant, and now he and his disciples are approaching this town. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. And a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. And the young man who had died was a widow's only son. Somebody say only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. 
And when the Lord saw her, watch this, his heart overflowed with compassion. And don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. And the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And great fear spread through the crowd. And they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And God has visited his people today. The power of Jesus expressed, they're not denying, the miracle that he does expressed through the compassion he feels for this woman. How he encounters this moment of grief. And try to visualize this if you can. Jesus is just walking along with his disciples. They're about to enter this town, go through the gate. And this funeral procession is coming out with this great crowd. And so this would have looked a lot different than our funerals look today. This would have been very different because today we have like the police go and stop the traffic lights and there's lots of lights and things and cars and all. That's not what this would have looked like. What this honestly would have looked like is there would have been mourners and probably professional mourners. In the day, it was not unheard of to hire people to come with their flutes and their tambourines uh, and their loud voices. And they would cry and wail over the person that had died. And so they didn't know the person, but they were there to, to express the grief that was being felt. And so they shout and wail, yeah, and they create this, this commotion. And so Jesus comes up on this scene that's very emotional, probably very, very loud. And these mourners are crying. Most of the town is there with her. He comes up on this scene and he sees this, this incredible funeral procession coming out of this village. And now there are some things we know about this from the story. There's a lot of stuff we don't know. For instance, we don't know about the widow. We don't know how old she is. She could be 20. She could be 30. She could be late 30. We don't know how old she actually is. Another way, we don't know how her husband died. We don't know if it was a sickness, if it was a job incident, if it was something that happened. We don't know how that happened. We don't know how old the boy is. He could be three years old. He could be 10 years old. He could be 15. We don't know how old he is. But we do know is that this funeral is taking place. This grief that this woman is feeling is very incredibly fresh. Because in that day, they would bury people probably within a day or two of them passing. They didn't have what we have now in terms of embalmment and the climate back then. The way that it would work is they'd have to bury them very, very quickly. And so this has just happened. This woman, this single mother who has lost her husband, is a widow already, has now lost her only son. And so she's coming out now with this group of crowd from the town. She's coming out and the mourners are wailing and the, the, they're playing the flutes and the tambourines and they're shouting and all these things are happening as she's walking with them. It's this moment Jesus walks up with his disciples. And the Bible says he sees this widow, emotional, overwhelmed with grief in her deepest moment of pain. And the Bible says Jesus saw her. He saw her. He looked and he saw her. And I think it's really interesting in the Gospels, there's 40 different instances, or maybe I think a little bit more than 40, where they tell us Jesus saw somebody. And I, I just think it's interesting because you would think Jesus saw everybody, right? He just, he's walking along. He just, he saw everybody. But what the author is trying to portray here is that Jesus not only looked, but he saw. That he's not only looking at people, but he sees this widow. He looks at her in her moment of grief and pain, this this uncontrollable grief she is feeling. He sees her in that moment. Last year, we did a series called Through the Crowd, where we just looked at people that Jesus saw. Not that he just looked, but that he saw. You understand there's a difference between looking and seeing, right? You understand that? If you are a person who looks a lot, but just doesn't notice a lot of things, you understand this difference between looking and seeing. Like, I am a guy, and so I look a lot, but I don't see very often, all right? 
things just pass me by. Important things, not like trivial things that I just got. I miss big things all the time, which is probably a bad thing in my line of work, but it's just what happens, all right? That's just the way I am. Anybody else, you are not a noticer. Anybody things just pass you by, or is it just me today? Come on. All right, there we go. We got some people. Anybody married to someone who doesn't notice anything? You just, there we go. Just show me. Anybody married to a noticer? Anybody like that? You just, they notice everything. They just do. I just notice nothing. It's just in my DNA to let things just pass. I don't know what it is. It's just something about me. Like I wear a smartwatch, everybody. And so it helps me keep up with things and shows me texts and calls and like how bad my fitness is doing. Come on, somebody. That's just how it is. And honestly, that's a whole nother thing. That's just, I think it's a little sarcastic to be honest with you because I'll be going to bed and it comes on and says like, you didn't close your rings today. But there's still time. And I'm like, there's still time. Great. He says, a brisk two and a half hour walk and you will meet your goal for the day. <laughs> I'm like, that's worthless. That helps me in no way. But I, I like it. It tells me a lot of things, keeps track of whatever I need. And I've got a little thing on there that I put that gives me the next five hours of weather. Kind of gives you the day's weather. Uh, you can take a glance at it in the morning, make your decisions, do whatever it is. And I didn't realize a couple of weeks ago that I had loaded the newest operating system on here and reset my weather from Baton Rouge to Cupertino, California. Come on, somebody. I didn't realize it till Friday night, this two days ago. So two weeks I lived with my weather being Cupertino, California. I sounded like an idiot. If you talk to me in the last two weeks, I'm like, it's going to rain tomorrow. It's going to rain. You know, it says it's going to be, you know, high 60s, lower 70s. It's going to be great. I sounded like a moron, everybody. It was amazing. For two weeks, I lived with Cupertino weather. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't that far off. Come on, somebody. It just wasn't. It's a, that's a whole other thing that I just do. So don't judge me. I'm just living my life, everybody. But stuff just passes me by. Things just I don't notice. Like I don't, if you are one of the people who said you're married to a noticer, I am married to a noticer. Notices so many different things. And my wife is working in the nursery today, so I can tell you all that. Come on, somebody. Though honestly, every time I've done this, one of you goes and rats me out. So we're going to have a, I've realized that now that I am on shaky ground. One of you always seems to run to the nursery to tell her all the things that we talk about. But it's amazing to me all the things. If you're married to a noticer, like you'll go to somebody's house and come back. And they're like, did you notice like their wallpaper and the way that they did this and they arranged those things? And you're thinking like, yes, there was a house. Like, and yes, they had walls. Like, I just, I remember those things. Or honestly, the worst one is weddings. If you've ever been to a wedding, and I had no idea. There are 43 million things you can notice about a wedding. Did you see like the groom's mom and the way they looked at so-and-so? Did you see the way they arranged the floral? I noticed one thing at weddings. Is there food or is there not food? Come on, somebody. Like, who is, who is with me? If there, I was the only thing. Notice, things just passed me by. We notice. We, there's a difference between looking and seeing. And when you see in the Gospels, when the author says Jesus saw a person, It's not that he just looked. It's not that he glanced. It's that he saw them. There's a difference between looking and seeing. And he looks on this widow. And he doesn't just look. He saw a single mom, a widow who's lost her husband and now has lost her only son. Someone stuck in the grief that they are experiencing. The worst moment of her life she is in right now. And Jesus sees her. And what emotion did he feel when he saw this woman? Watch this. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. There wasn't enough room to even feel the compassion that he had. They overflowed for this person in their grief. And I think too often, as Christians, one, too often we're too ashamed to experience our grief, to even show it. But then on the flip side of that, too often times, 
as Christians, we pass by people with grief and we say, well, they should just get over it. They should just wait some time and it should end. We don't feel compassion like Jesus did. It says it overflowed with compassion for her. And then even further today, what I'd like you to understand is what Jesus feels for this woman. It's the same thing he feels for you when you experience grief. Because we can hide our grief from others at church and others at small group and those things. But too often times, we also try to hide our grief from God. But when he sees us in that moment, in our worst moments, when he sees us, when we are experiencing pain, when we see, he not only just is looking, but God sees you. And that his heart is filled with compassion for you. That God is not up in heaven saying, well, just let time heal all wounds or just, you know, just keep on going and it'll be okay. God is looking and he's filled with compassion for you. And so I don't know why you're here today or why you may be watching online or listening, whatever it is, but maybe it's to hear that God not only sees, but he cares. That God loves you. That when you're afraid, that when you're in grief, when your marriage is going on the rocks, when you are in a dark, dark place and it feels like your emotions are spiraling out of control, God cares for you. That he loves you in that moment, that his heart fills with compassion for you. And so when the Lord saw her, watch this in verse 13, his heart overflowed with compassion. There is no stronger word in the Greek to represent the compassion that he felt. That this overflowing depth of compassion, he saw her pain, he saw it, and he cared, and he loved her. And I don't know what you need to hear today, but I want you to hear this, that God loves you. That if you are going through something, sometimes the holidays are some of the hardest moments you will ever walk through if you have experienced grief or pain or loss. But the Lord feels his compassion towards you. That he has not turned his back on you. That he loves you. And he saw her pain and he cared for her. The Lord sees her. The Lord sees you when you're praying for your marriage. The Lord sees you when you're praying for that child who's making crazy decisions and you're just praying that they come home safe. The Lord sees you in that moment. He has compassion for us. He has compassion for us when we're frustrated and anxious. When we let thoughts of depression creep in, when the spiral's out of control, when the darkness feels like we can't even catch our breath, the Lord sees you. And Lord cares and has compassion. So he grieves for the single mom who's lost her son. He grieves. And then in verse 13, he says this to her. It's overflowed with compassion. He says, don't cry. He walks up to her. He says, don't cry. And he walks over to the coffin. And he touched it. And I think we read these stories and we just kind of skip on and we're like, what's the next thing Jesus does? And where's the next place Jesus goes? And what's the next thing he says? But I don't want to miss this today. He walks to this coffin. He sees this mother grieving and he walks to this coffin and it says, and he touched it. And he touched the coffin and the bearers stopped. He touched the coffin. It's interesting, the coffin wouldn't be anything like we have today. Like today we have sides and, you know, front and back and the lid and things. That wouldn't have been back. Back then in those days, a coffin would have been like a piece of wood. Uh, with some wheels attached to it. So it's kind of like a cart. And so they would place the body. The body was almost always exposed. And they would wheel this out to the funeral procession. And so when Jesus goes up and touches the coffin, this is shocking. This is unheard of. This is why the bearers stopped. This is why everybody would have gasped at this moment that Jesus would touch. Because in those days, this would be unheard of. People would, would be shocked that Jesus would even touch because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, They had a million different laws regarding their lifestyle and the things that they could and could not do. 
And the things that, and it was always mostly concerned with the outside. Like all they cared about was, let me put on this show. Let me show you how clean I am, how religious I am, how holy I am. Doesn't matter what's happening on the inside. Doesn't matter how dark my heart is. Let me just look clean for you. And they had 613 laws involved in this, trying to look clean on the outside while the inside died. And one of those laws was you could not touch a dead body. And you could not touch something that touched a dead body because if you touch something that touched the dead body, then you would become ceremonially unclean. And so now you have Jesus, this prophet, this man claiming to be the son of God, does something that in their eyes makes him spiritually unclean. And I love this moment that Jesus does this because he could have done this a hundred different ways, but he chooses to step forward and do something that would have shocked them and made them think he has lost his mind and he touches the coffin. And he reaches out and he touches the coffin. And I love this about Jesus because he is a line crosser. It's incredible. This is a line they have drawn in that when he touches this coffin, he has crossed the line that they have drawn that says you are clean or unclean. And I love this. Jesus is a line crosser. Jesus is a rule breaker. In the gospel, you can read. I love this about Jesus. Now, listen to me. I'm not saying Jesus goes 95 and a 60. Y'all all still going to jail, all right? That's just not, that's not what I'm talking about. But Jesus loved to cross these religious lines they tried to draw to keep people from God. And so he crosses his line. He touches this coffin. Why? Why would Jesus cross this line? Because love crosses lines. Compassion, that is actual compassion, crosses lines. And it reaches out to people who are hurting, even at the cost of his own reputation. Even at the cost of this silly line they have driven, Jesus crosses over it to have compassion on this widow. To show, to show how deep and incredible his compassion is. And so he touches the coffin. See, what religion does, what distorted religion does, is it draws lines. And it sets up rules and it sets up regulations and it does this legalistic mindset that tries to keep people separated from God. Jesus said one time to the keepers of the law, he said, you shut the door of heaven in people's faces. I think if he was here in our culture today, he'd say that to a few people. That you have sought to shut the door of heaven in the face of people who are grieving and people who need compassion more than anything. And the tragedy is that has kept some of you or some people that you love from God, from experiencing the love that God has for them. We have shut the door sometimes with our actions, with the way that we treat others. When in his compassion, Jesus crosses those 613 lines, Jesus reaches out, he touches the coffin. And you have experienced people, I am sure, I have come across, I can't tell you how many, who will say things like, well, I don't go to that church because they're so legalistic. I don't go there because they're so hypocritical. Listen to me, if that's what bothers you about church, know that it bothered Jesus too. That's what bothers you about this thing because Jesus didn't want any lines to keep people from reaching him, from experiencing his compassion, his grace, his love. And so when he sees this woman ignoring these religious policies, Jesus touches the coffin right next to this dead boy. No boundaries, no rules, no laws can keep people from the compassion of Jesus. From the love that he feels to those who are hurting, he touches this boy. And you can imagine the crowd gasps. This scandalous moment, but more importantly, than any, more incredibly than any of that, the boy gasps. Come on, somebody. Says the boy lets out a breath, sits up and starts talking. Jesus touches this coffin. Jesus touches right next to this boy and suddenly he rises from the dead. 
sits up and starts to talk. And we can celebrate all that God has done, this miracle. But listen to me, this is as incredible as this is, more incredibly so, is that that resurrection power. One touch raises this boy from the dead, but one touch from Jesus can raise anything that's dead in your life back to life. One touch from the master can heal anything. One touch from Jesus can do anything in your life. And this is incredible that we read these stories of Jesus touching and doing miracles. But listen, this same Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit in the world today, can touch whatever is dead or dying in your life and bring it back to life. Things that you have prayed for, things that you have seen die off, things that you have thought were always dead, he can bring back to life. That Jesus can restore just one touch. And somebody here, that is what you need. And listen to me, one touch from Jesus can do more than anything else we can imagine. That he not only sees, that he not only cares, that he loves you. And so in this moment, he looks at this woman. And what did it take? What did it take to raise this son back from the dead? What did it take to heal this woman, to give her her hope back? One touch from Jesus. One touch from the master. And my prayer, honestly, today, my prayer every Sunday, is that as you come into this place, And my prayer for you, as you come in, or somebody watching online, that we come in here, that there would be one moment, that there would be one word, that there would be one song, that there would be one touch, that there would be one sense of the presence and the love of God in this moment. That you would experience that one touch. That you would feel that one touch, that He cares for you, that He loves you in the midst of that pain and that grief, that it is okay to express those things. And that God's compassion is overflowing for you. And that He loves you. That one touch. And then for those that come in and you feel like you have separated yourself from God, it's my prayer that you would realize the compassion he has for you. That you would experience the love that he has for you. That one touch is all it takes. That you feel like you have separated yourself. You feel like you've gone too far. You feel like God is a million miles away, but that he loves you and he cares for you. And that one touch is all that you need. And know that God crosses lines to be close to those that he loves. The man tries to draw lines. Man tries to separate you from God. The man tries to tell you that you're too far gone or you've done too much. But God crosses lines to show, show compassion to those that he loves. To show compassion to those who are in grief. It's almost impossible to describe to you what this does for this widow. Not only does he give her her son back, he gives her back her hope. He gives her back her hope in this moment. He touches this boy. And it's my prayer as we go through this series that those who feel anxious, those who feel grief, those who feel pain, those who are walking with a burden that no one else would understand, do you know that God sees you? That he loves you? That he wants to show compassion to you? That you are never too far gone, that you are never too far separated, that God has called you and he is running to you. That he loves you. So what do you do when you feel helpless, when you feel anxious, when you feel depressed, when you feel these moments boiling up, when you feel the darkness, when you feel this? You run to the God who's already moving towards you. You cry out to him. Listen to me. He gives your hope back. He gives your touch. One touch from the master. One touch is all it takes. Bow your heads as we pray today. Lord, we ask you. Father, in this moment, I ask you. Lord, for those of us who have come through maybe this holiday season, Lord, experiencing pain or grief, but we've kept it hidden. 
For those, God, who have walked through a darkness or a pain or whatever, God, that it comes into our lives, whatever it is, Lord, but we have kept it hidden. For those who feel separated from you because of the rules and the lines that man has drawn, but, Lord, we feel like you are so far, we ask right now, be close. Be close to the brokenhearted. Be close to the one who is far. Show your compassion to the one who is lost. Show your love to the one who grieves. Show your grace and your mercy to the one who has run far away. Lord, we pray as a church. We thank you for your compassion. And Lord, we pray that when we encounter those who are walking through these, that we would show the same overwhelming and overflowing compassion that you showed. Help us to have that response to people, God, that love, Lord, not drawing lines in the sand, but crossing them to love others. Always looking for a chance to show compassion. And then, Lord, I pray for those who feel they are stuck in that moment, Lord, that one touch can cause healing. One touch can bring your compassion and your love. One touch. Let there be one moment. Let there be one word. Let there be one person you send to show that love. Let there be one song. Lord, show that your presence is so real and so near. Holy Spirit, we pray this week, be close to the brokenhearted. Let them feel the love of God. Give the peace only you can give. The church has continued to pray. Before we go today, I just want to give one more invitation. Because maybe there are some of you and you're here today and you say, yeah, I am far from God. About as far as I could possibly be. I've crossed every line there is and I've done everything there can be. Listen to me today. I don't know if you've ever been told this. I don't know if you've ever understood this. I don't care what you've heard about God. Listen to me today. He loves you and he still wants you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you went through. I don't care what you feel like you've done that separated you from him. I don't care about your deepest thoughts that you feel like your shame you've had or the things that you've done. I don't care about all of that. Listen to me. He still loves you and he still wants you. And the blood of Jesus can cover over a multitude of sins. And so today, first day of the year, if you say that's me, I'm as far from God as I can be, but I want, I want, I want so desperately to be saved. Right now you can have that opportunity. Right now you can make a decision for the rest of your life. And it would be our honor, let me tell you this, our honor to pray with you. Our church is dedicated. We will pray this prayer. I don't care who it is. We will pray this prayer with every person who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. Now, I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you in front of your friends or your family. That's not what I'm in this for. I'm in this to show you how you can follow him. Not join a church. Not grow some personal ministry that I have. Listen to me. I want to introduce you to Jesus. That you can make a decision right now. If you say, that's me, I'm done with the filth and the things that I've walked through. I'm done with the sin and the stuff that I've done. I'm done with the decisions that I've made. I want to follow Jesus. If that's you right now, we would want to pray with you. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Pray this prayer with us. Say, Jesus, forgive me. 
of all my sin, of all my mistakes. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all God's church said amen and amen. Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer, God said he makes you a new creation. The old is past. The new has come. That you are forgiven of your sins. That you are a new creation in Christ. And that you have decided the best decision you could possibly make in your life to follow him. To surrender it all. To leave it all behind. But to follow Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray that prayer. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate what God has done today?